The holiday season is now upon us. The year is absolutely flying by, and the news never stops. That's why we at the DSR Network have expanded our programming to cover even more of the world's events. We hope you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of November, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code STUFFING at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code STUFFING. Thank you very much for your support. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily, the Daily Doom Scroll, as some like to refer to it, when we look at the news and we provide a little bit of color on it and we do the whole thing in as close to 15 minutes as we can manage. I'm David Rothkopf, one of your co-hosts, joined today as ever by Chris Cottmore. How are you doing today, Chris? Doing great. Thank you. Excellent. And Riley Fessler. How are you, Riley? Not too shabby. So, Chris, last night you were probably up till 2, 3 in the morning watching the returns come in, watching each one of the Virginia House of Delegates races. Uh, I know that was uh, something you were closely following. How did it all turn out? Is it is it all gloom and doom for the Democrats, like the polls have been saying for weeks and weeks? So, first of all, I'm old and I go to bed really early. I'm much more of a morning person. Luckily, we have people like us to tell us what exactly happened in case you went to bed. Wait, wait a minute. So you went to bed early and now you're going to tell people what happened while you were asleep. That's right. That's, that's the news business. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What do you think those, what does Savannah Guthrie do? She sleeps. She has to. They get up at three in the morning. Yeah, I know, but they sleep through the I was on Morning Joe this morning. I had to get up at 5 a.m., drive in, was supposed to be a hit at 6.30, went on the air at 6.55. So I know I know how it feels. So polls, in my opinion, are exactly like these folks who t- you pretend to know, you know which sports teams are going to win, which elections are going in the you know, direction that they want them to go in. They continue to be wrong. In the case of last night, um, the Democrats had a great night in an off year uh, where the Virginia um, voters gave the entire legislature to the Democrats. Pennsylvania voted a Democrat into the Supreme Court. And Riley's uh, home state of Ohio... um, Voted to uh, voted for abortion rights, and Ohio voted to legalize marijuana. Um, so some some big vi- some big victories across the board for the Democrats. Um, I really, really, and and you know, again, we have Simon tomorrow. I'm really interested to see what this means not for the polling industry. They're always wrong. Well, they are. Now, let's be fair. Some of them were right about what was going to happen yesterday. 
Um, but the general tenor of the polling has been, oh, Dems have everything to worry about. And I have to say, I was watching some cable news show. I don't want to name names, but let's say all of them. They would go, Democrats won here, Democrats won there, but exit polls show they don't really like Joe Biden. Or, but, you know, the polls last week showed that the Dems are really losing. And it's like, what they're in the horse race business, and they want it to be tight. But here's the thing. Seven out of seven times that abortion has ended up on the ballot, people have voted for freedom. They voted for their right to control their bo- women's rights to control their bodies. Um, in each of the elections since Trump was elected, by the way, including when he was elected, um, he's been a loser. You know, he he lost the popular vote in that, that one in 2018. Uh, there was a big setback for them in the Congress. In 2020, Joe Biden won. In 2022, Democrats did much better than expected. In the off-year elections, there have been these abortion votes. The Democrats have done fine. This is a point that, that, that Simon Rosenberg makes over and over again, which is to say the polls have steadily, for the past six, seven years, been single digits wrong about the Dems, often high single digits wrong about the Dems. And once again, we saw it. There may be apprehension about Joe Biden. But you know what people care about? Their rights. They care about their right to control their body, the right to vote, the right to marry who they want to marry. Um, they care about the right not to be terrorized by guns in schools. And ultimately, that makes them show up at the polls. And that's why in Riley's home state, the, 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 the um, amendment guaranteeing right to abortion won by 13% in a red state. Now, what else won in Ohio yesterday, Riley? Yeah, so the other thing that won in Ohio was recreational marijuana, which was issue two, I believe. So that also passed. And it passed by 1% more than the abortion thing. Which, right. yeah, which what does that say about o- Ohio, Riley? What doesn't it say about Ohio, David? I mean, I think, I, I think this does emblemize the fact that Trumpism is such an anomaly and that people over are overwhelmingly vote for these issues on an issue by issue basis that Trump is diametrically opposed to. And I think it just highlights the fact that there's something strange about Trump that keeps people voting for him, especially in Ohio. Where they yeah, I have to times. say, that's why I've always thought that those little stickers on the Ohio state helmets were wheat. You know, I mean, people, you know, right? I mean, it's like people say, oh, yeah, that's a Buckeye. Well, first of all, what the fuck is a Buckeye? Nobody knows what a Buckeye is. But it looks like weed, and now that's what it stands for. Yeah, it, it now has a double meaning. Yeah, at least. Uh, do you have any stories, Riley, or are you just heading home to take advantage of the legal? Yeah, well, a- after I booked my flight, I found some more stories sticking with domestic politics. Uh, there was a second House vote to censure. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, and this one actually did pass. So it follows a failed vote on uh, an effort led by Marjorie Taylor Greene. And that one, I think the sticking point was that it also accused her of trying to lead an insurrection, which was a non-starter for a lot of people in the House. Uh, But this one did pass 234 to 188. 22 Democrats joined the Republicans. Uh, And the measure accused Tlaib of promoting false narratives regarding October 7th attack on Israel and calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. And one of the sticking points was this video that she shared on Twitter that featured protesters chanting the phrase from the river to the sea, um, which is characterized by the ADL as anti-Semitic. 
Interestingly, four Republicans actually voted against this, including Republican Ken Buck. And he had a quote I liked where he just said, it's not our job to censure somebody just because we don't agree with them. Um, So again, it just kind of shows the divide in the House. And I thought the vote breakdown was interesting as well. I'm pretty sympathetic to that. You know, how many Republicans have said uh, one way or another, effectively or ineffectively, or actually taken steps to support Russia or make it easier for Russia to win in Ukraine when Russia's doing, uh, you know, ethnic cleansing and and horrible things in Ukraine. Uh, You know, they also say horrible things about, you know, uh, I mean, think of some of the things that Donald Trump has said um, about immigrants and so forth, and they don't take any action on that. And so I don't approve of what Rashida Tlaib said, but I do think she has the right to say it. Uh, and I do think it looks pretty bad when you have one Palestinian member in the United States Congress and uh, you, you, you come down on her for expressing her views. She's supposed to represent her views. Um, but such as politics. You know, by the way, Chris, before we jump in with your, uh, your next story, I don't know if you saw it, but we got in our mailbox this morning a note from a guy named Neil Price. Uh, who said, I'm not here to defend the monarchy by any stretch, but I think it's important to note the king doesn't write that speech to the government. The prime minister does. I don't know the ins and outs. And he also says, you know, the government sets the legislative agenda and the crown delivers the speech. Uh, The fact that it was so banal and crap is a reflection on the prime minister, not a weird foible of Charles, although heaven knows he has plenty. Uh, And uh, I thought, what a good comment. He's absolutely right. Charles is weird, our point yesterday, uh, but the speech was written um, by, you know, the political folks um, uh, who are uh, running this particular government. Um, But I thought I would shout it out because we like getting letters uh, into our mailbox um, uh, from the people who listen, don't we? Or or you don't like criticism, Chris? No, no, I, I love criticism. I love getting criticized more than anything else in life. Well, that's why we have families. Um, oh. Additionally, the, we, we got a comment in, in our Slack community um, who's from somebody who- We have a Slack community? We, we have do. A, do people know about it? I mean, our members know about it? They should use it. They, they do know about it. They do use it occasionally. Um, this person also stated that- you know, dis- despite his shortcomings, King Charles may may make a better Speaker of the House than the one that we than Mike Johnson. Have. Yeah, nice and, idea. Again, could be could be right. Although he could not be third in line for second in line for the presidency because he was not born here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, shifting gears to Israel after Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, said that Israel could assume responsibility for the security of Gaza when the conflict ended. Uh, Secretary Blinken chimed in and said that the United States uh, does not support that scenario. Uh, Forcible displacement of Palestinians um, or the reoccupation of Gaza by, by Israel. He supports potentially a transition period, what that might look like uh, is, is anyone's guess. Um, but th- th- it's a little concerning, I think, um, that we're 
you know, kind of debating this out in the open, um, even though there needs to be a solution, there needs to be a, a, a way forward when this ends, um, because it just breeds, you know, or it's a breeding environment for terrorism. And I don't see that uh, going away anytime soon, even if Gaza is completely destroyed they'll reorganize and and move somewhere else well first of all you're right iran is sponsoring these groups iran wants to have a group there iran will have a group there um secondly uh you know we're ten thousand uh people dead in gaza it's going to produce a lot of alienation and that's going to be what terrorists recruit against uh I, when I, the reason i was on morning joe this morning was to talk about this uh, and the article that I wrote that said that I see a growing rift between the United States and Israel and the Blinken comments that you referred to are evidence of that. The U.S. has on several key areas, humanitarian pauses, uh, n- n- not you know uh, uh, going after uh, Palestinians on the West Bank, uh, uh, trying to take greater care with civilians. And on this issue of an occupation, the U.S. has offered a different view than the Netanyahu government. And it's becoming more and more apparent the Netanyahu government isn't listening. And that's just not a sustainable situation. You know, I think Joe Biden's response after October 7th was out of loyalty to the people of Israel. But I don't think they feel any special loyalty to Benjamin Netanyahu. And I think this is going to make things much more complicated going forward. Riley? So some good news for once uh, from the European Commission. They've adopted the 2023 enlargement package, and that includes a few things. But most notably, it includes recommendations to open negotiations with Ukraine and Moldova for EU membership. Um, And, you know, this is a reason to be optimistic, but there's still a long way to go. This is only a recommendation. It's not binding. It requires unanimous support, which is going to be tricky with Slovakia and especially Hungary. Um, Whether or not they'll agree to that is another matter entirely. We will see. It's expected to be um, endorsed at the Brussels summit uh, in December 14th and 15th. So something to keep an eye on. Reason to be optimistic for Ukraine and Moldova but still a lot of road to go before there. Yeah, well, I'm a foreign policy specialist, so I am here to give you nuanced perspectives. My nuanced perspective on Hungary is fuck Hungary. Um, It's like, you know, either they get with the program with the EU or the EU needs to think of another plan. You know, if Orban is out there, you know, cheerleading for Vladimir Putin, he's a problem. He's He's not part of the team. Having said that, there is no way that there is an, good lasting peace in Ukraine, um, unless Ukraine's in the EU, unless Ukraine is in NATO. And if Ukraine is in the EU, and if Ukraine is in NATO, then, you know, we're going to stop Russian expansion in the region. Same with Moldova, which has been under threat from Russia for some time. So this is good news. I hope it moves uh, speedily. That is not always the case in Brussels. Chris? As the attention continues to be on Israel and Ukraine, um, it's important to continue to remember that there are other humanitarian crises uh, in the world, 
um, not least of which is uh, in Sudan, where Sudanese paramilitaries launched uh, an offensive in Darfur, resulting in the killing um, of various or, or destroying of various towns and killing of civilians uh, in a camp that was designated for um, families who were uh, displaced. I am certainly biased, but one of the things that you know I, I'm proud of with you know the work that we do. Um, is that we try to bring attention to, you know, all of the issues that are going on in the world. And there are certainly a lot, and it certainly uh, isn't always possible, but it's important to continue to pay attention um, to what's going on outside of the Middle East, um, in Africa, in South America, um, because they are important uh, to, you know, our relationships um, around the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really important to bring this up. And I, one of the reasons that I think this daily podcast is useful is to guide people's attention to other issues, because there are scores of conflicts in the world today. There are scores of humanitarian crises in the world today. They are not just the ones that are in the news. Uh, you have seen how we can drop our attention from Ukraine and just shift it all to Israel uh, and Palestine, you know, in the blinking of an eye. Um, and there are hundreds of millions and billions of people um, who deserve the attention of the world if we're trying to build a functioning global community. Riley? Yeah, so my final story definitely geared toward us in DC, but it does have international implications. And that's that the national zoo is sending back their pandas today. Um, started this morning. Oh. The, the trucks, the trucks came. Oh, come on. I know. I know. It's sad. Uh, did your mother see the pandas when she was here? She did. Yes. So we've seen so the pandas. She, got, she was like the last person to see actually, them. you know, her most recent trip. She did not. We tried to see them and they closed off the exhibit. So I, I did not get to see them recently before they left but yeah it's sad for dc but also you know this program has been going on for over 50 years it started when diplomatic ties were opened after nixon's historic visit to beijing um so it's it is emblematic of a definitely frosty relations between china and the u.s um so it's a shame hopefully you know as we've mentioned recently on the show China seems to be making a lot of overtures to increase diplomatic ties around the world. So hopefully this is a temporary situation, but it will remain to be seen. Look, I'm sure people are listening to this in Beijing. Xi Jinping, Wang Yi, foreign minister, you're coming to the U.S. in a few weeks. You're coming for the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. You'll meet with President Biden. Come on. Give us some more pandas. Give us some of that sweet, sweet panda diplomacy that is so important to the U.S.-China relationship and has been. It's just not going to be the same without them. Um, you like pandas, don't you, Chris? Very much. I do like yeah. pandas. More yeah, they're, pandas, they're, more cowbell. I'm for it all. For cowbell. More. 
It was like amazing when Christopher Walken was on SNL the other day. It was like, oh my God, he's still alive. Um, and and he was very funny. I mean, he he's, was, you know, it was, it's, he's a, he's a real stalwart. At the he's a funny guy, but I cannot just not unsee his Pulp Fiction speech every time I see him, every single time. He talks about yeah. the watch, how he carried the watch. But there are also there are all those great clips of him dancing because he's a great dancer, um, and you can use that as a kind of a mind cleanse. Um, but I have to say, you know, Riley's generation, like Riley, probably doesn't even know. People used to stay up to eleven thirty and watch SNL live. Now nobody does that. <laughs> Everybody wakes up the next day, <laughs> they go to the highlights or they go to the YouTube channel and they speed through and they watch the three things that are funny. And they don't watch the rest of the show. They sort of have final cut. Everybody gets the final edit. And you don't have to stay up until one o'clock in the morning listening to the second song from a group you'd never heard of, you know, which is what the bad SNL experience was for many years. Christopher Walken, by the way, I don't know. You probably haven't seen this movie, but his his greatest performance was in a movie called Envy. With Jack Black and uh, Ben Stiller. If you haven't oh, yeah. seen it, you got to check it out. Ben, uh, Jack Black's character uh, invents a spray, spray that makes dog poop disappear. Oh, jeez. And he becomes really wealthy. So that's the premise of the movie? <laughs> that is. Okay. He, he makes the dog poop disappear, but everyone asks throughout, well, where is it going? And you find out where it went in the end. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed that one. You know, I've been a little more loyal. I watched uh, The Equalizer over the weekend. Uh, Equalizer number three, for whom the technical advisor was a Mark Polymeropoulos, and where the CIA agent in Equalizer number three has a Mark Polymeropoulos beard, gray, and you know, it looks just like his beard, and wears a Vienna in hat. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And, no, he does in the movie. And it's like Mark Polymeropoulos will not stop until every single person in the world knows of, visits, and buys swag from the Vienna Inn. I can only imagine his um, saw grin in the theater when that when that hat came on screen. When that, no, no, I'm sure he was absolutely, absolutely delighted. Anyway. Um, I encourage everybody uh, who's listening to this, listen to our other podcast, the one we've got coming up today. We're doing our main show, The Mothership of Podcasts, um, uh, in which Ed Luce and Corey Shockey, we'll be talking to a guy named Jeremy Conondike, who we had on before when he was working at USAID on international response to AIDS. But he's now at Refugees International and has some really interesting perspectives on what's going on in Gaza. So we encourage you to listen to that. And then tomorrow, Simon Rosenberg and Tom Bonnier talking about the elections and what we should have learned from them, whether we learned it or not. So a lot of good stuff coming. Join us then. Bye-bye.